You are now listening to the New York Groove Podcast with Ryan Morick and Scott Thompson, powered by BackSportsPage.com. Hello, fans of all ages, and a happy Friday to you all on this very first episode of the New York Groove Podcast, powered by BackSportsPage.com. Ryan Morick and Scott Thompson here with you, recording this on this Friday, May 12th, 2017. Thanks a lot for joining us on this first podcast. And just a quick introduction of ourselves. Again, I'm Ryan Morick. Scott Thompson is on here via FaceTime. Both, in, uh, both of us just graduated from Ramapo College. We actually walked yesterday. Scott, congratulations on your Woo-hoo. official graduation. <laughs> Same to you, man. Um, we both did play-by-play for... Ramapo Athletics, we called well over 100 games in about eight different sports. Uh, Scott and I have been a part of Backsports Page for quite some time now. You saw us at the David Tyree event that we're both going to again. That, believe, that I believe is on June 6th of this year. So you'll see us there again with David Tyree. Olivier Vernon is the head guest. We talked to him last year. Uh, but we're trying some new endeavors on BackSportsPage.com. We're trying to get the baseball... Uh, aspect of this site going a little more and I think we're going to do a pretty good job of that because Scott you're going to be interning with SNY over the summer and you'll be with the Mets lot and I'll just be watching every single game like I do all the time so (laughs) we'll have have a lot to talk about uh, throughout this baseball season and hopefully uh, some more uh, credentials come our way we're trying to get some hope week stuff involved and we're going to talk baseball for, I guess the goal is what? Hopefully two or two podcasts a week for the rest of the season, I guess. Mm-hmm. Let's do it. I guess um, that's good, right? Absolutely. We got time now. We're graduates. We don't have class anymore. Might as well. I don't know. We, we tried to get this going for quite some time, but uh, now we're both home. <laughs> so it, it's going to work out a lot. And also, uh, Scott and I are both right for NJ.com. So uh, we do a lot of work together. And this is just a continuation of it. Let's get right down to business. Um, We got a lot to talk about. We got Derek Jeter to talk about. The Yankees are obviously one of the biggest surprises in Major League Baseball so far. And I guess so are the Mets, too, because, and this is what we're going to start with, the New York Mets today, because I I think in the beginning of the season, we both said that the one thing that was going to hurt the Mets, if anything, was going to be health. And that's how it's been to a T. I mean, they started off really terribly. Somehow, someway, they're only one game under 500. But the news about Jared Familia yesterday with the shoulder uh, clot, and he might have to get the same injury as Matt Harvey last year. And that was not an easy injury to come back from. We see Matt Harvey has been struggling. We'll get into that for a little bit as well. But another day, another injury for the Mets, and their three biggest stars are on the DL, and all three of them for quite some time, and there's no timetable for any of their returns, and it's not looking too good. Not at all. And it's, it's something that, like we said in, in the past, and, and you, you said it perfectly, health is going to be the biggest issue with this team. It has a potential, especially on that pitching aspect. But then you have Jerish Familia, who just comes back from suspension, and now he can miss the remainder of the season. And then you have 
the guy in Noah Syndergaard who was the one pitcher last season that didn't have as bad injuries as, you know, obviously Steven Matz or or um, Jacob deGrom, but now we're flipping it over, and now Syndergaard has that issue. It's like the Mets cannot win when it comes to, you know, injuries-wise, especially to their star players, and that's what I think is killing them. But, Ryan, you made a great point. They're one game under 500. Somehow, someway, they're five and a half games back behind the Washington Nationals, who are ten games over 500. So it is bad at, at the moment, but like 162 game season we got a lot of baseball left hopefully the Mets can you know take that injury bug and throw it away um once the season starts to really get underway you know who I give a lot of credit to Terry Collins and it's so funny because a week and a half ago I was saying why is Terry Collins still managing this team I feel like when Terry Collins first came to New York it was just a quick little interim basis kind of thing without really giving that interim title because no one thought the Mets were winning from basically the years 2011 to 2015 when they first made the postseason. And then the Mets got good earlier than everyone expected, which has kind of been the theme throughout baseball with the Mets, the Cubs, the Astros, a lot of other teams. And the Mets are included in that. And I remember last year I was saying to myself, it's time to get rid of Terry Collins. As soon as I said that, they went on this miraculous tear and made it to the wild card game. I said the same thing two weeks ago, and now I don't want to say they're going on a tear, but two weeks ago, they were in last place in the division. Now they're five and a half games back, and they were five and a half games back at one point in 2015, and then they won the division by six games. So... I do give Terry Collins a lot of credit because I think that somehow, some way, as weird and dysfunctional that the front office can be, I think the players really like Terry Collins. And he's very unconventional, but something is working with Terry Collins and his style of managing because we see it and we've seen it, especially in the last three, it's the first year they made the postseason in 2015. This team loves Terry Collins, and they're playing for him. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy that that takes no BS to start with, and you can see that in his pre- and post-game interviews. He calls it like it is, and you got to love that out of a manager because it just shows you that, you know, he doesn't try to dance around any of of the bad things that happen. Just look at the past two seasons with him. He has had to deal with so much, and, you you know, obviously on, on the Yankee side, we talk about Joe Girardi and how he had to deal with injuries. Terry Collins does the same thing. He calls it like it is, and he believes in his players that are going to step up, that have to step up if they want to keep um, their playoff streak alive. I think Terry Collins also realizes, Ryan, that the even though it doesn't look like it, the Mets are still in win-now mode. They, they, they got to the World Series, obviously, two years ago, and they realized that that window is is going to close at some point. You think about contracts-wise with, with these pitchers and how you're going to have to give those up in a couple of years. Terry Collins, I think, is really grasping that fact, and I, I think you know the whole Mets organization, even though it doesn't really show it sometimes, is grasping that fact. I think that's why they push their star players to get out there on, on the field. Every game counts for them, and I think that Collins is a main proponent in that, and he, like I said, he doesn't take any BS He's going to put his players out there. He's going to deal with what he has, and he has full confidence in them. That's what I love most about Terry Collins. But, now, but you mentioned 
pushing the star players out on the field. That's what happened to Ioannis Cespedes, and he's on the DL. That's what happened to Noah Syndergaard. He's on the DL. Th those are the two main guys where you can say that the Mets kind of pushed them because obviously we all know the whole story that Syndergaard refused the MRI and there was a debate whether the Mets could actually force him to get it or not. Apparently, they were able to. Obviously, you're not going to forcibly tie the guy down and force him in the tube. But there was a really big discussion throughout New York media whether they can do that. The New York Mets DL right now, Travis Darno on May 3rd, Syndergaard May 1st, Cespedes April 28th, Duda April 20th, Seth Lugo, partial tear in the UCL, and a lot of people were saying that was probably from the World Baseball Classic. Uh, Steven Matz, elbow irritation. That you can't really put on the Mets because Matz is always hurt. Brandon Nimmo has a strained right hamstring. That was on the t He was put on the 10-day DL over seven weeks ago. And David Wright is David Wright. Jairus, and now Jairus Familia. The Familia injury, you can't put on the Mets. That, it happens. There's some things that just get in the way of, of your season, and something's going to throw you a curveball, no pun intended. But I just thought that the way they treated the whole Syndergaard issue, the way they treated the Cespedes issue, Cespedes was cowering in pain, and every day it was a question, is Cespedes going to be in the lineup? Is he going to be in the lineup? And then they finally said yes because they weren't hitting at all. And then, of course, he pulls up running into second base and had to be practically carried off the field. I, I don't know if it's management just saying we need to win, if it's the players just trying to be the head guy, but something's got to give. And I just think management has to do a little bit of a better job protecting these players. I understand that you are in win-now mode. And I understand that so many people are already on the DL and you need these guys now more than ever. But are you really going to let the players push you around like that? You can't be such a pushover. The Mets have had so much history in being the laughing stock of the league. We Look at 2015. Wilmer Flores was crying on the field as the Mets were postseason bound practically. And the Mets were the laughing stock of the league that night. Being a good team. Maybe that's just little brother syndrome to the New York Yankees, but I, I, I don't know. I, I just think management needs to do a better job of protecting these players, and it's protection plus playing time. And I get it's not a perfect science, but something's got to give, I think, if you're management. Yeah, and it's, to me, when you look at this, this Mets roster in general, you just take a step back and look at it. What depth does this team have? What depth allows these star players like Cespedes to to take maybe a day or two off to kind of fall back on each uh, on uh, each other? If you, if you look at the Yankees, for instance, they have outfielders. They have three first basemen that are well two now with Bird still you know sort of mm -hmm. having his issues, but still there is depth there that they can allow players to get nights off. And we don't see that a lot with the Mets. And especially, you, you bring up Cespedes. Like you said, he was cowering in pain during batting practice. And you turn a blind eye to that. You can't do that. This is basically your franchise player right now. This is the guy who's been, you've been dealing with back and forth and back and forth every offseason, trying to make sure that he is still on your team for the past couple of years. And you're just going to throw him out there. I get that you need him out there. You need your star guy that's going to 
belt home runs and drive-in runs. But you got to make sure that they're healthy, especially at this early stage in um, the season. We're not even we're, – we're barely through April. We're, we're just getting really in, into May, and we still got two months before the All-Star break. You can't have players already ailing and wincing in pain. Like I said, management, I get where they're coming from. I understand that it is a win-now situation for the Mets because they don't know how long these players are going to last. They don't know who's going to jump ship once their contracts are over. So I get where the priority is at, but you have to look at the health of these players. They are your babies. It's, it's, I'm not going to say it's like, it's like a daycare, but you have to make sure that each and every one are healthy. You can't just pick one or the other. It's, it's something that is... a sensitive uh, situation and clearly the Mets have been on the wrong side of that um, to start off the season. Let's take a look at some of the contracts that are ending uh, this season. Neil Walker is on the qualifying offer. I think he's gone. I think, which isn't too big of a loss because you do have Rosario coming up, but then you also have Jose Reyes uh, going. I mean, that's not a big loss either with the way he's been playing, but who's going to be your middle infield? You only have Rosario right now, and I guess you have to hope for Brandon Nimmo to stay healthy. Curtis Granderson is gone. Jay Bruce is a free agent. Addison Reed is a free agent. Lucas Duda is a free agent. Rene Rivera is a free agent, and then I think Darno follows the year after that. And then on top of that, Matt Harvey's going in 2018. I mean, I mean, he could not be going because with the way he's been pitching, maybe he won't get that $200 million contract that he's been wanting. But they are a win-now mode. But what's the window? Is it this year? Is it two years? Or is it four years when Cespedes' contract is up? The maximum is four years, and I think that's really pushing it. Personally, I think the window is 2018. But, uh, again, it's really tough because they do want to win now. But at the end of the day, it is May 12th. It's possible to fight out of – I mean, I get – we saw the Yankees last year. They started out 8-16. and They spent the entire season trying to get out of that hole, and they couldn't do it. If they played from May 6th on, that pace of winning and losing, if that pace was put in the beginning of the season, they would have made the postseason. And you can probably say the same thing for the Mets right now. They started off, I think, with an almost identical record. They get embarrassed 23-5 to in Washington. And by the way, let's not turn a blind eye to Washington Bryce Harper's back, and they're probably the best team in the league right now. So they, they needed a good start, and they got a really bad one. Luckily for them, they do have about 13 more games against the Nationals, but you have to win 10 of them to make up a lot of ground, and you have to hope that Washington loses a lot more. So for, and I remember we did a little practice podcast before the season started, what do we put the over-under for Mets wins? 89 and a half? And I couldn't believe that you said Was under. it 89 and a half? Or was it under that? No, it was because the Yankees, we actually had the Yankees lower. And we should have, I mean, look at things now, it should have been We put the Yankees flip-flopped. at like 83. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. But it, if, you, if, you you look, said, if you look at it though, Ryan, you know, they obviously went down to Washington. They took two out of three. But then you have games yeah. like that where they, they got embarrassed. I mean, think about Yankees-Indians a few years ago. I mean, that, that's, that's something that, you know, you go into another person, player's uh, ballpark, you win two straight games against, like you said, one of the best teams in the league right now, and then you get embarrassed. It's just, 
with this team, especially now, there's just no consistency. And even when they had, you know, the, the World Series run, I, I think that it showed that only a couple players made that happen. One of them is playing for the Nationals now. It, these pieces are going to fall apart in the very near future. And I think Mets fans don't want to realize that. They got on this high that, okay, we made it back to the World Series in 2015. We're still a win-now team. We can make the playoffs every year. They can. But these pieces are going to fall apart. And I, I would hate to see management try to force everyone into playing their best even when you see injuries happening and, and you understand that you can't push these players. I'm, I get very nervous talking about it because I don't want to see a player like Cespedes have his career you know, derailed maybe two, three years because of one team pushing him too much. You see Syndergaard is getting pushed too much to be that star guy and to stay out there in games even when he has a high pitch count. It's not just the, the only guy. I just don't want to see this team you know, force their players into having to get out there every night even though obviously that's what they want to do but the bodies aren't telling them the same thing. All I know is that everyone on the Mets, fans, organization, management, everyone involved, whoever roots for the Mets, you are thanking God you have Michael Conforto and Jay Bruce right now. And by the way, Jay Bruce, that's a good story for this year because he was on the trade market all offseason. I remember we talked about it once. Brett Gardner and Jay Bruce weren't traded, and we were surprised at that. Jay Bruce has double-digit home runs, and Michael Conforto is proving that he is a major league hitter, finally. And I think a lot of Mets fans were waiting for that. Remember, Conforto, I think Conforto got an unfair rep because he went from double-A to the majors because they needed a left-handed bat, and they didn't have it, and they, they really took a risk. That's basically like the Yankees calling up Glaber Torres right now. And a lot of people don't want that because it can ruin a kid. And it almost ruined Michael Conforto. What someone told him, I have no idea. But we're saying the Mets are a game under 500 with those two raking right now. Imagine where they would be if this was 2016, Michael Conforto and Jay Bruce. They wouldn't. I don't even think the injuries would be the story at this point. The injuries are the story because we're all thinking, what if they were healthy? You wouldn't be thinking, what if they were healthy if your two best guys who are both hitting 300-plus with a lot of home runs are hitting 250 and having bad plate appearances? Right now, they are saving the Mets, Conforto and Bruce. Yeah, and you look at Michael Conforto, and I said it all last season. His swing was extremely long. Uh, he was swinging at everything last year, especially off-speed off pitches, and that's why he got sent back down. And you said it per perfectly fine but right there, Ryan. 2015, at 22 years old, he was thrown up into uh, the major leagues and told to go play in the playoffs. Any 22-year-old, I mean, I'm turning 22 in two months. Uh, that, that is a lot of pressure to be put on such a young kid. But last season, he had the and chance. almost unexpectedly, too. Yeah, absolutely. And then last, last season, he had the chance to really show what um, he, he could do. And he had 300 and almost 350 plate appearances and batting 220. He needed to fix some things. He had that loopy, long swing that we see from a lot of lefties. And this season, you put him next to Jay, Jay Bruce, and he's batting 337 right now. I mean, a guy that seriously has made tons of adjustments. He's up a lot. Again, obviously, it is 
um, the beginning of the season, but we're already over 100 plate appearances, and this guy's batting 337. He's got 21 RBIs, eight home runs. This is what they expected from Michael Conforto to be like, and at 24 years old, it's one of the bright spots on this team. Let's move on to the other borough. Enough Mets talk because I feel like we can go on and on, and I don't want to repeat ourselves. So let's go over to the Yankees side. A lot of stuff to talk about the Yankees. Uh, before we get into the Derek Jeter talk, his number will be retired on Sunday. Let's talk about arguably the biggest surprise in baseball, and it is the New York Yankees. And my thing is, okay, they're good. And, you know, I expected them to be good. I didn't expect them to be this good, but I, I expected them to be an over 500 team. Did I expect Aaron Judge to rake? No, but I expected him to improve from last year. Did I, I mean, we'll talk about Gary Sanchez and Greg Bird because Greg Bird has been unhealthy and he's on the DL. Gary Sanchez is still trying to find his way uh, through his sophomore season. He just came back from an injury. Um, but this team is just exciting to watch. They have nine comeback victories on the season. They almost had 10 last night. And it took a perfect throw to get Jacoby Ellsbury out at the plate for the final out of the game. But the thing that I notice is every comeback that they have, you see pure emotion and a, a postseason atmosphere in the dugout. Sometimes you see a, a clutch home run and players who just walk into the dugout and they say, it's a long season, this win doesn't really mean much. But that home run by Brett Gardner against the Cubs with two outs, two strikes, to give them the 3-2 lead to start the sweep. And then two nights later, they go on to win in 17 innings. And you see Aaron Hicks is fired up when he w scores that game-winning run in the top of the 17th inning. You see they almost had a comeback victory. It was against the Orioles. Didi Gregorius hit a two-run single to tie the game up, and he's fired up. The game that we were watching at NJ.com, 9-1 they come back from, and you see how fired up this team is. That is what I'm looking at. Not even the fact that they're having come from behind victories, but the fact that it's clear that they're having fun. And that's something that they've been missing for a long time. I think last year there was just a lot of pressure with A-Rod and Teixeira with the Yankees trying to get them off the books, and they wanted to win for them because they – had very good years in 2015, and then it all fell apart. And then, again, they got into a losing mentality early, starting 8-16. and 16. And honestly, I look at 2015, and they kind of had a similar, not close to this, but I think they were a little looser because this might sound crazy, but Derek Jeter wasn't in that locker room. Derek Jeter is like, we are winning baseball games, and <laughs> don't have fun, we have to win. It's a very loose environment. They look like a college team. And that's the biggest takeaway that I have from the Yankees so far. For me, too, and I, hey, this is our first podcast, so I have to bring it up. And you've you got to talk about Aaron Judge in all, in all of this. There were so many question marks coming into this, this season as the Yankees are good, but they're not going to be good until these guys mm -hmm. mature. And we see through this first month and a little bit into half of the season obviously Aaron Judge is pulling headlines I believe he was on cover ESPN magazine or I think it was Sports Illustrated, Sports Illustrated. Yeah. I think, yeah. uh, it, he is raking it is a definition of raking right now and 
like you said, it's just a fun atmosphere. And, and Joe Girardi, we talk about him all the time. If you've listened to Beast of the East, you say we, we say it all the time. He is a binder manager. He goes by the books. And I think right now he's really taking a step back and just letting his players play. It's such a fun environment to watch. It was something that we didn't expect. We thought that the Yankees would maybe be a little around 500. They're 10 games over 500 right now. Obviously, half a game behind the Orioles, who are having a stellar season to start as well. But we didn't expect this from, from this team. And it's, it's tons of fun to watch You know, everyone, players one through nine. You talk about the start of the sweep with that Gardner home run. Look at that emotion that Gardner had the entire way running around that base. The entire took way. Him, first of all, eight, <laughs> eight, it took him eight seconds to get around the bases. But, I mean, he was screaming. You saw the, the, the bench fired up. The, even Joe Girardi was fired up after that home run. It's so much fun to watch this team. Um, you, you can hear the, there's a bigger buzz at Yankee Stadium. This is what this team's been looking for, and I'm sure that Brian Cashman right now is sitting in his office at Yankee Stadium during games with a smile on his face because he can say that at the moment, right now, his plan is starting to come to fruition. He has that perfect mixture of rookie talent and veteran um, leadership in that dugout. Matt Holliday's been performing well. Even Chris Carter is, is jumping in there as well. Jacoby Ellsbury is finally playing some games and putting um, himself on base. The pieces right now are falling together where on the other side of the boroughs, obviously the Mets are starting to fall apart. I think it's the Yankees really coming back with this young squad and tons of fun to watch to start off the season. Another thing that's impressed me also is the fact that we saw, I guess it was through that first homestand where they went eight and one. I forgot what game they lost, but they started one and four. They won that game against Baltimore. That's kind of when Aaron Judge started taking off because he hit his first home run of the year. And then they won eight in a row. I think the fact that the it's a small sample size argument hasn't applied to them yet. Stalin Castro started raking early. He's still hitting 361 on the season. He's, he's seventh in the league right now in batting average. Aaron Judge hit a home run three home runs in a row. Okay, yeah, he'll eventually cool off. No, he hasn't. He leads the league in home runs right now with 13. He and uh, the guy from Milwaukee, Eric Dames, are tied with 13 for the league lead. Are things going to slow down eventually? Yes. Is Starlin Castro going to hit 361? No. Is Aaron Judge going to hit 55 home runs? Most likely not. But you mentioned Aaron Judge, too. Another thing, his plate appearances have been a lot better. He's not swinging it outside strikes. His strikeouts are still a little high, but you're going to get that from a guy who's 6'7 and a power hitter, obviously, but a lot better at bats. Just this whole team in general, and you got great veteran presence in Matt Holliday. The pitching has been a huge help because they're not letting up six runs per start. I think Tanaka still needs to tweak up a, li- a little something, but Pineda with the near-perfect game in the home opener. Severino has been what the Yankees have been dying for him to do. CC is CC, but Jordan Montgomery as well made his debut on April 12th, a month ago today, and he's looked like a, a six-year vet. And can't say enough about the bullpen. The bullpen has been tremendous. Warren is your great uh, long reliever. And then Clifford Batances Chapman. That speaks for itself. 
this team has a lot of heart. They have a lot of skill. And right now, Baltimore is the one thing that's stopping them. But you look at the offense, Baltimore's 18th in the league in offense. The Yankees are second, only behind Washington, who, remember, they scored 23 runs in a game not too long ago. So that stat is a little skewed. The Yankees are a very good young team, and they're not even all the way there yet. You're still missing what you want from Gary Sanchez. You're still missing Greg Bird. Remember, Greg Bird hit eight home runs in the spring. Everyone said he was the one that's going to be back, and Aaron Judge was kind of the one who was the question mark. It's been the complete opposite, but I think that's a good thing for the Yankees. I just think that now you really know what to expect from this team, and I don't think this is a fluke. No, not at all. And, and you talk about how this team isn't even where it wants to be yet. This is just the, the starting ground. This is the foundation being built, and it's being built extremely fast. We said that it's going to take a little bit of time, maybe even some free agent signings in the offseason. But you look at the pieces now. I think you brought up a good point about Jordan Montgomery as well. I was so confused as to who this guy was at first when he made his debut um, back in April. And then I see him as we were at work the one day at NJ.com looking at the screen. It's the seventh inning in Wrigley Field against the reigning World Series champions. And he's still on the mound pitching a gem. I mean, he was throwing a shutout at the time. I guess maybe the Yankees young guys are feeding off of what is really going on in this locker room. And I'm sure the camaraderie is through the roof. We can see that constantly. But there's still pieces to be, to be made. There's still... You know, improvements in Gary Sanchez, in Greg Bird, and making sure that he stays healthy because they are vital parts of this team. There is a lot of upside to this team right now, and I think that that is something to really pay attention to throughout the season because, obviously, we're going to be New York fans. We're going to be pessimists. We're going to say this isn't going to last, like you just said. The, the Aaron Judge isn't going to hit 50-plus home runs and 125-plus RBIs that he's on pace for right now. There, there's going to be some, some some down moments, but you know I'm I'm going to hold my breath for now because the Yankees have been really proving me wrong. I mean, obviously last night Dallas Keuchel is going to be Dallas Keuchel, yeah. and the last time we saw him play in in Yankee Stadium, he threw an absolute gem as well. So maybe that's just his his place to to play. Wink, wink. If you want to come over, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's <laughs> it, it it is it is something that I'm going to hold my breath on, and I'm just going to sit back and watch because I'm really enjoying how the Yankees are playing, how this mentality has changed from you know a str- strictly you know tight knit organization that shakes hands after after home runs. I mean, I love the smiles and the and the dumping Gatorades and and everything else that I think that baseball should really accept. And the New York Yankees, one of the oldest franchises, is accepting it with these young players, and I think it's tons of fun to watch. I think when you have your power hitter, your main power source, hitting over 300, again, Casho over 350, and they have four four guys hitting 280 and above. Matt Holliday is hitting 286, and remember, his average had been falling off the last couple of years. Ellsbury... You say what you want about the contract, but he's been producing. He's batting 280, and they're running also. They're stealing a lot of bases, too, and that's something that a lot of Yankee fans have not been happy about, the fact that they're not stealing. Especially when you have a guy who is top five in the league, if you want to look at speed in, in Gardner. I mean, it's, even, even mm-hmm. Ellsbury. Yeah, Ellsbury's been hurt, but he's still shown his speed. But, but you, you, you see the names that, that you're throwing out there, Ryan. It's, it's guys that 
are key to this organization and, and that the past two years have not produced, especially to start off the season. I think that now you made a good point in how A-Rod and Teixeira and, and everyone else is kind of out of the picture and we're starting to see this, this new generation of Yankees, these baby bombers, quote-unquote. These guys are, are main key guys that are going to be here for the next few seasons and they are producing right now together, not one at a, at a time. You know, you talk about the Mets, you see Conforto and Bruce producing right now, but these other guys are, are, are falling off. With the Yankees, you're seeing a tight-knit group rallying off of each other. They are producing at the same time, and this is what has caused this win streak. This is why they're 12-4 and four at home, and what people would think they were, would be third or fourth, maybe even last in the middle of the pack of this AL East, they are right in the hunt to start off the season, and I'm sure that, that they're, they're going to be there come September. We mentioned Severino and Montgomery. I think they're two huge surprises. Montgomery really has four really good pitches. Severino, I give him a lot of credit because th th this was it. I think this was the last chance for the Yankees to make him a starter, and then if it didn't work out, he was going to go into the bullpen. But Severino has shut up everyone so far. He and Pineda both rank in the top 20 in strikeouts. But I think one of the huge surprises has been Aaron Hicks. Aaron Hicks, how often did I say it? one of the best athletes in baseball. But now he's been one of the better players in the MLB this season overall. He's come up in a lot of big spots. He's had a lot of good at-bats. His on-base percentage is 474, and he's hitting 333. Granted, he hasn't had uh, – he's only had 75 at-bats as compared to uh, – Judge has 107. Headley has 116. A lot of guys have 100 on this team, but Aaron Hicks has been getting some ample playing time, and I think a lot of people were saying – if he does get playing time, he'll produce. I think their definition of producing was 275, but he's hitting the ball with power and obviously never a bad idea to have a switch hitter in the lineup. He's becoming an everyday player, and I hate to fast forward, but we've always said Brett Garner is on the trade block. He's been on the trade block for four years. If the Yankees are going to try to get rid of him by the trade deadline, cool. You, Aaron Hicks is your fourth outfielder, but he can easily start. He can easily start in the outfield for this Yankee team, and, and he has been. Whenever the Yankees face a lefty, Garner, Ellsbury will sit, and Hicks is in the lineup. If you want to give Judge a day off, you put in Hicks, and then you leave in Garner and Ellsbury. It, it, it's been, Aaron Hicks has been a huge surprise for this team. His OPS is over 1,100. It's 1,101. 1101. That's incredible. Wow. I mean, if and I brought it up before. I talked about depth on this team. You can have guys take a seat, and Aaron Hicks is one of those guys that can really come in. And it's not even like he's just filling in as, as a role player. I mean, oh, you want to take a seat today? I'll play. I mean, he, he has been an everyday starter. He was with the Twins. He was in that organization. He was that guy getting what would have been 110 at-bats right now if he was still in that organization. But he's playing his role. Like you said, being a switch hitter and being an absolute stud in the outfield, he's fast. We've seen the type of arm that he has as well. This is a guy that can be an everyday starter somewhere else. And the fact that he's a role player on this team and doing that role is absolutely amazing. And you've you got to give him credit, too, because obviously he's made some adjustments since um, coming to, to the Yankees. Obviously he had a slow start at the plate. I think he was trying to swing for that 318 and 314 fences 24-7 when he first got here as well. He's really putting a lot of good contact on the ball. He has been hitting with power, like you said, but this is a guy that I think could be an everyday starter. And like you said with Gardner, it kind of helps that he's having a good start to, to the season as well. 
because if you really want to trade him, you can get something for him if he's going to still produce the way he is. Yankees in the middle of a four-game set with the Houston Astros. That'll continue tonight at Yankee Stadium. They lost the first game last night. Again, it took a perfect throw to get Jacoby Ellsbury out at the plate. You got three more coming up. And then the final game of the four-game set will be on Sunday for Derek Jeter night. They will retire the number two, the last single-digit number uh, to ever be worn in Yankee history. And we can real like, I don't want this to be a how special is Derek Jeter on the field, off the field. But it, it, it's such a cliche to talk about Derek Jeter because it's just the same things that get talked about over and over again. But it, it really, you have to bring it up, just what he did for the game on and off the field, what he's still doing for the game now, being rumored to buy the Marlins. But the number two is getting retired, and uh, I, I think this is a good thing for the Yankees also because I'm not sure how many people have really bought into this team yet, and you don't want to say attendance is going down, but, but it, it, it's, been, it's been decreasing, but it, it's still not terrible, but Sunday is going to be a sellout crowd, and... Uh, I don't know if that can start a trend. I mean, Mother's Day, start of summer, people are going to start showing up to the ballpark. And maybe if the Yankees have a great win on Sunday with a sellout crowd, maybe that can buy the fans. That can buy New York for the rest of the season, I think. But you don't think that they're, they're sold right now? I mean, obviously, they, they are pessimistic, but you, you don't think that this, this, well, no, I mean, I'm not going to say that the Yankees are whatever their win percentage is. I'm not going to say that they're on pace for 105 wins and they're going to do it. So I wouldn't say. No, I know. I, right. Yeah. Exactly. But it, like I said, 12 and four at home. I mean, it's it's the home is is where the Yankees are supposed to be good. I mean, you expect them to be good because of where it is. So you, look at you know how history has played out, and you you you, you make a good point. Though. The last few seasons, obviously, the attendance has been decreasing, with everyone you know. Doing different ticket packages, the Yankees have said that we're no longer putting tickets on on StubHub and and all these other things. You have to go through the Yankees, and the ticket prices stay the same. But when you take a look at you know Derek Jeter night, when you take a look at the legacy, obviously that that he's had, and how many fans are obviously going to be there, it's going to be standing room only. It's it's the final single digit going to be retired. This is something that Yankee fans have been looking forward to, honestly, since he was named captain of this team. We knew it was going to happen. It, it, could, it could show that you're putting yeah. that older generation and you're officially you know, putting it in the books with his plaque being put into Monument Park. I think this is really going to – that night is really going to be the official turn of the page to, that, to this next gen, generation. I think if – like you said, if you can get a good win there with a sellout crowd, there's going to be a different aura about Yankee Stadium. And I wouldn't say, you know, baseball's back in the Bronx, but it's, it's going to be it's surreal. It, it, it is coming. And it really looks like that down the road, but – this could really be the official turn of that page as you put Jeter into the uh, into Monument Park, something that Yankee fans have been looking forward to, um, as I said. And then you have these new guys really in the lineup, really looking at that and saying, okay, this is his legacy. This is what I hope to 
um, here every single night, and I'm sure that the, 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 um, all those players in that dugout are going to be rallying behind Jeter that night and trying to get him a win. One of my favorite parts about Jeter's number being retired also on Sunday is the fact that the core four will all be right next to each other. All of those numbers and Bernie's number, those five numbers are all going to be right next to each other. And again, you said it, that's the official turning of the page. I think that, <laughs> I don't know why I feel like this. I feel like there's some Yankee fans who still feel like some sort of hope that Jeter will come back to the Yankees in some way, shape, or form. Derek Jeter's not that kind of guy. He's not the kind of former player who's going to twiddle his Yankee hat around like Reggie Jackson does. He's not going to be a special advisor down at spring training. A-Rod will do that. Reggie Jackson will do that. Uh, Swisher will do that. But Derek Jeter doesn't – his Yankee chapter is over. He had a Yankee chapter for 40-plus years being a fan and then being a player. He wants to do more things, and that's okay. People don't – I feel like people are just having such a hard time of letting go that Derek Jeter isn't a Yankee anymore. He doesn't want to be a Yankee anymore. I think he had a really tough time coming for uh, Bernie, Jorge, and and, uh, Pettit. I think he had a really hard time coming to the stadium when they retired those jerseys, and I think he didn't really want to be there for the the 96 celebration either. And that was he wore a jersey that day. I think he was just very uncomfortable with being at that stadium because – we won't see him at Old Timers Day for a long time. Why won't we see him at Old Timers Day? He's 42 years old. His wife is still pregnant. He hasn't even had his first kid yet. He's not really an old timer yet. Maybe five years from now, six years from now, we'll see him. But again, he's not going to be the Yankee, the former Yankee, to just show up to the stadium and say, hey, I'll sign autographs, I'll be, I'll be a special advisor. That chapter's done, and if this rumor is true about the Marlins, and it sure looks like it is, this is the new Jeter chapter, and I think, again, you said it perfectly, the fact that the page will officially be turned, the core four plus Bernie are going to be all right next to each other in Monument Park, that's going to be a special night, but I think it's going to be a hard night for some fans to grasp. I mean, I've come to the understanding that Derek Jeter is no longer a Yankee, as hard as that is to believe. But there are going to be a a lot of tears in the crowd. I I don't think I'll be one of them. I think I'll be a little bit more on the happier side. Um, But that is going to be the closing of the core four officially. And, uh, again, if the Yankees can get a nice win, that would be uh, something else. But let's just talk about the legacy for Jeter in general. We know all of the plays. I don't even know which one is the best. I think my favorite has to be the walk-off. Um, yeah, his walk-off hit at his final game You're at Yankee Stadium. You're biased because you were there. I, no, definitely. I'm biased because I was there. But it's so funny how you didn't even expect anything different. John Sterling has the best call. Is that unbelievable or is that unbelievable? Like, you can't believe it happened, but then you're like, obviously it was going to happen. I remember when Robertson blew the save, I literally said, oh, Jeter's batting third? All right, walk. (laughs) It's just going to happen. It's that simple. But it goes without saying, the legacy, obviously, probably arguably the best shortstop of all time. 
Uh, you can make the argument about his defense being overrated or whatever, but what he did for baseball, he was the face of the MLB from, I guess, around two, late 90s to early 2010s, and it didn't change much. And um, he's getting what he deserves, obviously. Absolutely. Uh, it's... It's really a, a true story book, almost a, a, a fairy tale. The legacy yeah. that that Derek Jeter's had, this, the seasons that he's had, the, the MLB career that he has had. You just look at all the other Yankees in Monument Park, and he'll be the only guy, you know, obviously over three thousand hits. Um, I believe he finished with three four thirty four sixty five. Six five was his final. I mean, he played basically an entire season in the playoffs, something that guys don't, don't do. He played almost 160 games, I believe, batted over 300, had over 200 hits. It, it's, and then you think of all those moments, the Mr. November, you know, the, the clock striking midnight home run. You see the, the, the flip, the running to the stands against the Red Sox. You can literally spit these out year after year. And obviously it's ingrained in our memory because we grew up in that Derek Jeter era. I mean, obviously, he was my favorite player as a shortstop. Everyone wanted to be Derek Jeter. I fought, I fought a kid when I was six years old to wear number two because I was the shortest kid, and obviously they did one and two were the size smalls, and I fought a kid to, to wear n- n- number two. Yeah, because they give numbers. Based the off the size. The number, the yep. the so that's, it's, his legacy really is something to, to watch because it's, if you could pick out anyone, and I mean anyone, to, you know, really say, who, okay, if I could step in anyone's shoes and have their MLB career, I would say Derek Jeter in a heartbeat. You're playing in one of the best environments in all of baseball. Like he, like he said, I had the opportunity to be the shortstop for the New York Yankees, something that he's wanted to do, something that every kid, even that lives in the Midwest, I think, wants to do. It's, it's really a story, but it is a fairy tale what happened from the beginning to the end with that walk-off hit. And it's all going to be honored on on Sunday. Obviously, Ryan, you, you talk about how you know his his life, his legacy with the Yankees is over. It will be officially over on Sunday. But I think one, that one last time, he might not have you know wanted to come to New York because he's finally start, starting to get out of that whole New York media and all that that pressure that was on him in the past. But I think he's really going to sit back, and I, I think he should sit back and just. Just bask in that moment. If this really is going to be his last time at Yankee Stadium for a while, and I'm, I'm sure that it will be considering, like you said, um, he is going to be a father for the first time in, in, in his life. We thought yeah. that was going to happen a while ago. You know, he really put away, you know, sort of personal things to have that over 20-plus career of being a professional baseball player. So, you know, other guys obviously have kids, and you see them bring their kids to the, to the stadium, but he focused on baseball for so long. And I think that it really is his time to, you know, take a step away from it. Obviously, with the rumors with the Marlins, maybe he doesn't want to. But, you know, I think he really needs to sit back on Sunday night and just bask in the moment. Really drink in what he has done from beginning to end. And I I think he will be and the fans will be as well with tears in their eyes or smiles on their faces. Either way, it's going to be an emotional night. And, you know, hopefully a win just keeps that emotion alive. And the fact that, uh, like you said, you brought up his postseason stats. The thing that impressed me the most about him is the fact that a lot of players, the moment speeds up for them in big moments. For him, it never did. 
And it, it, it's funny, too, because, like you said just now, he's never sat there and relaxed and taken in the moment except for winning the World Series when the season was over and it was literally meaningless and he could do whatever he wanted. Even in his last game, he said that that was the only game at Yankee Stadium in his career where it was literally meaningless, where they were mathematically eliminated. And I, and the fans didn't help because it was a postseason atmosphere and he had to show something. He's never sat there and really reflected on the moment. And I think he finally will um, on Sunday. And like I said, the fact that the moment never got too slow for him, but the fact that he never took anything in, how that works, it's weird, but it worked for him. An excerpt from that Facebook, um, the, Facebook's me- the Facebook message that Derek Jeter released on Facebook when he retired. Um, he released it February 2014. It is, and it, it applies now, again, like now that he's becoming a dad and he's becoming an owner. It's time for the next chapter. I have new dreams and inspirations, and I want new challenges. There are many things I want to do in business and in philanthropic work, in addition to focusing more on my personal life and starting a family of my own. I want the ability to move at my own pace, see the world, and finally have a summer vacation. He's finally doing that. New York Groove Podcast for Scott Thompson. I am Ryan Morick. Mets are on this weekend. Yankees are on this weekend. Derek Jeter, number two, being retired. Thanks a lot for tuning in to the first episode of the New York Groove Podcast, powered by BackSportsPage.com. It is not goodbye. It is see you later. So long and take care, everybody. We'll see you next time. Start spreading the news. I'm leaving today. I want to part of it New York, New York These vagabond shoes